Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, August 18th, 2018. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 156, reading paragraph 1 and 2 to start. Today's readers are The 12 Steps, Nadia B., The 12 Traditions, Janice M., and reading the text today, we have Rick B., Julie R., and Rachel W. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, August 17th, 2015, is 7930, 7930. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nadia B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Connecticut. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Then, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this death, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do this service. Thank you, Nadia B. 
I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 Traditions. Yes, thank you, and good morning to you, Melanie, and everyone. My name is Janice M. These are the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Janice M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the Big Book on page 156, starting with paragraph 1 for context, focusing our share on paragraph 2. And I will ask Rick B. to, to begin our study today. Good morning. My name is Rick B., recovered in Massachusetts. One morning he took the bull by the horns, and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. He found himself surprisingly well-received and learned that many knew of his drinking. 
Stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. He trembled as he went about for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. At midnight, he came home exhausted, but very happy. He has not had a drink since. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community, and the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. Well, again, Rick B. in Massachusetts, these paragraphs are talking and describing how Dr. Bob went about making his amends. And it's one example of how we can go about it. And it is one of the first examples of oh, uh, being, being So I think what was very interesting in that second paragraph, it says, at midnight he came home exhausted. Well, he went out in the morning, made the rounds to those people he had hurt, and came back at midnight exhausted. He basically made those amends in a day. Um, it also says at the end of the paragraph, 30 years of high drinking have been repaired in four. So I'm assuming that means four years. So he was sober four years at the time this was written is the way I read it. But what I think is very interesting is that he he got to it. He went about the task of making those amends right away. He did not take forever and ever writing an inventory. He didn't fill up notebook upon notebook. He didn't um, make all kinds of invitations and appointments to these people that he was making amends. He just went out and did it. And I think it's very important to read in the book how these things were done because it gets a lot of we get convoluted with different instructions and people's ways of doing it and certain groups and they're certainly not inappropriate but we don't want to be uh, misled into thinking that the way a certain group might do their their steps or their inventory or how they recommend working with a sponsor, that that's necessarily the only way to do it. And it's certainly not the way that it was done in the very early, early days. So I think the message here is to get about the business, do what we set out to do, um, in particular here making those amends. It doesn't have to be a long and drawn-out process. Um, Sure, certain amends may take some preparation and some work, but these paragraph paragraphs tell us how Bob did it, and Bob got right to it. And I think, you know, we can read other sources that that talk about how how Bob did his steps and how Bob became recovered, and he was one that that believed to get right to it. And some of the readings will show us that. He worked with thousands of people. Well, how could he possibly have the time to work with thousands of people if his message was not to get right to it, get about the business, and get the work done? 
So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Rick B. Who would Hi, like to comment Bates. on paragraph two? Hi, Charles. Kim Larry. G. Anyone else? I'm Melanie. Kim G. And I have Kim G. Yeah, I got you too, Kim. Thanks. Good morning. Anyone else? Larry. Hi, Larry. Fasa O. Okay, let's start with that lineup. Let's go with Charles H., Kim G., Larry K., and Vasa O. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Melanie. This is Charles H., a recovered visionary. Good morning to all the visionaries. Just today. Um, yeah, he came home exhausted. Um, you know, you know, I got to remember, like, most amends that, that I make is living amends. So the $164,000 question is, you know, if what I did yesterday worked yesterday, why wouldn't I not do it today? Why would I make an excuse not to make it a living amends? Knowing how yesterday, how I used to, how not yesterday literally, but yesteryear or, yeah, or days days past, how I used to live. Not just with the pool, just like, you know, I'll give you an example. My grandson. He reminds me of me when I was his age at 15. Always want to be right. I know everything, this and that. But he got to get exported to school because he got a big mouth, right? So he doesn't come outside to play basketball unless he has bodyguard with him. So he thinks that I enable him to run his mouth. We play basketball. His skills is not there yet, so he starts doing certain things, and I can identify with doing it at that age. However, a living amends that I'll make to him is because he's going to get hurt out there. So I gotta, I gotta disconnect myself from playing basketball with him. It's painful for me because I love the sport, but I don't want him to get hurt. You know, so that's a living amends. And, and believe me, I didn't get home at midnight, but I was tired. You know, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. But you know, I got a program of action, right? I don't even talk about weight on here because I carry a message of depth and weight, not to me, through God. I'm just a messenger, right? So, you know, I get an intuitive thought. It didn't turn into a resentment, but I was offended, and I felt bad for him. And, you know, and, 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 and we're growing him up a different way, and that's because of the program of action. So, yes, living a man is something that I need to continue to work at. And he can't see up the world because I guess he's a little blind and I identify with being that. So for his for his sake for his sake I will I will see for him and you know, maybe he might not like me for it, but when he grows up a little bit more he'll maybe come to this world and see the fork in the road. So we shout out fast. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Charles H. Kim G. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. And uh, I just say one of the things I love about the summer is we get some voices like Rick B, who doesn't get to, to really be on the line um, during the school year for him. Um, so I love to hear these, these new and old voices coming in and sharing their experience. But I, I, he pointed out a really good point because my alcoholic brain will say, look, I have four years to work these steps because I don't want to be doing all this work. And what they're referring to is the big book is four years old at this point. So they're saying he got recovered and then he demonstrated these principles in all his affairs. And because of his demonstrations, because he changed, people began to trust him again. 
it wasn't talking about the time that it took to go through the steps. So I just kind of want to look at what the book, what does the book tell us about the time frame to go through the steps? You know, in Bill's story, when he hears about Eddie, when Eddie comes to see him, he said it's been two months and the results was self-evident. When we look at Bill's story too, he was in the uh, town's hospital for 10 days when he had his white light experience. With Bob here, Bob and Bill met on May 11th, which was Mother's Day, and the anniversary of AA when Bill achieved permanent sobriety was June 10th, so that's one month. If we look back at this spiritual experience um, on page 567, it says what often can be accomplished in a few months couldn't have been accomplished in years of self-discipline. And my personal experience and, and my observation in Overeaters Anonymous is that we, we absolutely zone in on years of self-discipline. Years of self-discipline when these steps are supposed to be done quickly and thoroughly. And how does that happen? I want to zone in on a word, entire. Because to me, everything goes back to that doctor's opinion. Everything goes back to the basis of this book, is, which is, are you a compulsive overreader? Are you an alcoholic of this type? Are you as seriously alcoholic as I am? And in that doctor's opinion, it says we have a twofold illness. And as far as our allergies concerned, it says the only, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, which means the food has to go down 100%, 100% for in order for us to have availability. And then when it talks about this vicious cycle, it says unless this person can have an entire psychic change, very little hope of his recovery. So if we stop in step four, if we stop in step six, if we stop in step nine, or even if we do all 12 and then we stop working the steps, that's not an entire psychic change. If we want an entire psychic change, we have to get entirely abstinent, we have to work these steps thoroughly, and they have to become a daily way of life. And that's what we're going to see. So as we walk through this chapter, let's look at what Bill and Bob's experiences and specifically how do Bill and Bob carry this very specific message. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Larry Kay. Thanks, thanks, Melanie. Uh, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. So I, I love this paragraph. It, you know, it, it, one of the, the the primary principles again of the Oxford Group at the time, because remember, you know, there wasn't the twelve steps at this point. This is, uh, you know, this is essentially Bill and Dr. Bob um, uh, trying to stay sober and trying to apply some of those principles of the the early Oxford Group, and making restitution to right wrongs of the past. Well, that you know, that enables the person to cut the cord of, of sin, if you will, or wrongs that, that bind us to the past. And that's the big reason why historically one makes restitution. You know, restitution follows all, you know, if you go back in history, um, all different theological um, origins and so forth, restitution is a huge part of that. And in order to do this, Dr. Bob had to go through a process of self-examination. I mean, you can't go out and begin to, to make restitution for harms done if you don't go through a process of self-examination. And he did that. He did that with Bill. He seems like, you know, as, as Bill's reflecting back and writing about this stuff, that it was all very quick and, and, and sort of without a lot of thought. Not so. You know, he took stock of his wrongs with Bill. It's what I've read about. And the consequences of the harms done to others in, in Akron. Um, and, and making restitution involved being accountable for his past behaviors 
and essentially growing up as a, as a mature adult. You know, um, I was not a mature adult. I was in an adult body. <laughs> you know, I was uh, certainly at an age where one, I certainly looked like an adult, but I was stuck in many ways as a 5, 10, 15-year-old emotionally. You know, and repentance involved that I, like Dr. Bob and anybody that goes through this process, that I have uh, remorse uh, for those things that I've done, those harms that I've caused, and some contrition and and self-reproach for what's been done. Because if I just go out, or if Dr. Bob just went out, and he, you know, made amends to unburden himself, so that he could feel better about himself, well, then, you know, that's all well and good. But the problem is, is that how are we going to form a new relationship with the higher power of our own understanding if we're just going out and unburdening ourselves? He had to be, in essence, of the right mindset uh, through that process of self-examination that we have in steps, you know, in step four, uh, you know, and, and five, six, seven, and eight. And you know, through that examination, now he had some contrition perhaps and some remorse. That's the only reason that I believe that he was able then for the rest of his life not only to put the drink down but to help, you know, hundreds, perhaps thousands of others on this process because he had been through it and the man had changed. If nothing changes, man, nothing changes. If we go out and we make uh, wrap up and say, if we go out and make amends, um, but we do not change through contrition, through that self-examination process, we will continue to go out and cause harm, and we will need our heroin, our food, our alcohol to, uh, to get through this uh, unmanageable life. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Vasa O. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Melanie, for your service, and I am grateful Recovered compulsive reader calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I was emotionally immature, very emotionally immature when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. It was more exhausting for me being in the food, trying to um, put it down or trying to control it over the years, than really working the steps the way they laid out. So, you know, yes, Dr. Bob making amends, you know, I started relating with other people how they were making their amends. But I needed to be uh, free from, uh, again, I had to put the food down first, you know, before I could do anything. And that was the beginning of me, you know, that was the most important thing, just to keep the food down and keep it clean as I was going through the steps. And I really didn't wait to make uh, my uh, my amends till I got to ninth step. I started right away living amends with my children at home, the way I was behaving, and, you know, and it was a progress. I'm not saying it was perfect, you know, but, and then, you know, things with my husband, you know, living amends, you know, because I used to pout a lot, you know, I used to suppress my feelings, and I used to stop them with the food, and try to be this good wife, or this wonderful mother, you know, but really I was not happy inside. And then, you know, again, I was making those living amends every day, and then, you know, and I would hear how people did the ninth step, the formal ninth step. It was exhausting for me to do the fourth step, you know. Um, It was really very exhausting emotionally 
And um, but again, you know, one step at a time. God got me into the step nine, and uh, you know, one by one, amen. I didn't have to do them all at, at one time. And my sponsor would say, just do the, you know, even the the one that's not the scariest one, you know. And uh, we're not, I mean, we're not. I guess we're combining the steps here. And uh, I was very relieved also when I went outside of my home making amends to people that I felt I had hurt or offended. And uh, also I, not to make amends to people that I didn't do, you know, that I had it in my mind, like jealousy or envy or resentment to people. They didn't even know what I was, going, what I was thinking or doing. So I didn't have to go make amends to all of them, you know. But thank you for letting me share my past. Thank you, Vasa O. Who else would like to comment on paragraph 2, page 156? Nessa R. Hi, Nessa. Anyone else? Yolanda. Jill T. Yolanda and Jill. Anyone else? Leah. Sarah W. Hi, Hi, Leah. And then Sarah W. Okay, let's go with that. So I have Nessa R., Yolanda, Jill T., Leah M., and Sarah W. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, these, these two lines, to me, describe in the most succinct way possible step nine. At midnight, he came home exhausted because it's hard. Making amends is extremely hard. You know, pride gets in the way. Fear gets in the way, but it doesn't really matter. We have to, we have to plow through it. Um, when I did my step four, one of my instincts that was the most often threatened by um, in all the categories of resentment, fears, et cetera, that I had was self-esteem. You know, my social instinct of self-esteem was the most threatened. And self-esteem comes from doing esteemable things, from living the way that God wants us to be. And nothing speaks louder to that than, you know, uh, correcting the wreckage of the past and cleaning house, which is really step 10. And that's why when we're done with the amends, or even as we are doing the amends, you know, you'll be amazed as, when you, before you're halfway through, that we come home happy um, because, you know, we are starting to feel what real self-esteem feels like, doing esteemable things, living, living according to God's will, doing, doing God's will. And the results are, you know, not surprising. He has not had a drink since. You know, because we have corrected uh, the past and we can start living life on a clean slate without, without the burdens of, of, um, of our past misdeeds. And uh, I, that for sure was experience for me. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Yolanda, and how about the first initial of your last name, please? Star one. Yolanda? Hi, this is Yolanda S. from New York. Oh, hi, Yolanda. Good morning. Hi, I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, this paragraph touches me because uh, many years ago I had had gotten down to uh, my goal weight uh, back in 2010, I believe it was. And, um, no, 2005, 
and um, I thought I had arrived. And um, one of the things that I hadn't done thoroughly uh, was the steps. And although I had done the step four, I didn't do it thoroughly. I left certain things out. And I left certain things out because of my pride and my ego. And I couldn't imagine sharing myself with someone else. I just couldn't imagine that um, I could do that and how would people look at me. So um, because of my pride and my ego, I didn't do a thorough step before. And um, without doing that, I didn't do the rest of the steps thoroughly. Um, so as a result of that, I was walking around in this body and um, which was strange to me because it was a normal body weight, but um, I was miserable. And I didn't quite get it. I didn't know why I was miserable, but I went to a meeting, and um, it was a, a big book study meeting, and we um, took on sponsors and, and went through the work. But um, when I stood up, to say that I needed a sponsor, I just broke out in tears because I just was so miserable and I didn't know why. So when I went and did this work again, I realized that I needed to be thorough and I needed to do it 100% if I was going to get better. And that um, the ninth step that I procrastinated on the first time around, I worked on that ninth step, uh, living amends people who are no longer alive, I found grave sites. I worked on it like it was a, a job and I needed it to survive. And and I did. And um, I, I just um, want to say that I am so grateful today that I I have thoroughly gone through that part of the steps and that I'm living in, in 10, 11, and 12. And actually, I'm living through 1 through 12 because I need this work in order to uh, stay alive and in order to stay abstinent. For me, staying absent, it keeps me alive and it keeps me um, a, a worthy member of society. I'm, I'm able to be here for my family because of these steps and because of this work. And um, uh, believe it or not, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. When I shared my fifth step, no one was surprised. I'm not, I'm not the worst person in the world. I found that out too. But um, thank you. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. Thank you, Yolanda F. Jill T. Good morning, Jill T. from Pittsburgh. You know, what I wanted to focus on, I don't have the writing in front of me because I'm on a, I don't have the writing in front of me. But the thing that uh, really meant the most to me right now is that he was going to um, take the bull by the horns and get to it instead of run from it. And I am learning through program that stopping where I am, pausing, reevaluating what's going on inside of me. When I need to make an amends, I can get to it right then. And that the, um, the relief, you know, experience is teaching me that the relief on the other side is worth the discomfort on this side. And as I make this amends, it frees me up to have better relationships with the people around me because I'm not carrying forward an unresolved issue. Uh, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jill T. Leah M., you're next. Thanks so much, Mel. Thank you. Uh, he has not had a drink since. I mean, certainly that's miraculous, um, but the big book, um, you know, reminds us that um, 
you know, to get over drinking will require transformation of thought and attitudes, and that's exactly what happened uh, for Dr. Bob as a result of this action. You know, freedom isn't free. There was a price to be paid, and that was deflation. That was dismantling uh, the ego, and that's exactly what occurred through the process of these steps, even though they weren't uh, formalized, particularly in the way that we know them now. Um, but uh, the actions were all the same. And what was the result? The result was that he had recovered. The obsession of the mind um, was driven out, and he had had not had a drink since. I mean, he was restored to sanity. He was brought to soundness of mind. He had been relieved, uh, freed from that beast, so to speak. And uh, it was a result of those steps. He was not uh, who he used to be. And, you know, and, and that is a message of hope here. You know, he was born again uh, because old ideas, emotions, and attitudes that Dr. Bob had uh, when he uh, were, was drinking uh, were now cast aside and a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes now dominated him. And part of that process, obviously, are the steps, you know, because as long as we maintain the victim stance in our lives, we're going to remain a emotionally and spiritually sick, but as soon as we start taking responsibility for the way we perceive, the way we view uh, relationships in our lives, and the way we view the world, the way we feel, and the way we behave, we start becoming spiritually uh, harmonious, and uh, slowly, you know, the light within us becomes brighter, and, uh, you know, gradually that mask over you know, that we wore for decades uh, begins to disintegrate and the real spiritual uh, treasure chest that we all have inside begins to emerge and that's exactly what happened. The steps, you know, uh, give us peace of mind. Step one, two, three uh, brings us peace of mind with God, with a higher power. There is a God, we're not it. You know, steps four through uh, seven bring us peace of mind with ourselves, and steps eight and nine bring us peace of mind with others. And you know what? When we have peace of mind, we have no reason <laughs> to numb out. We have no reason to invite the disease in because we are comfortable uh, in our own skin. And that's the secret of these 12 steps, which are spiritual in nature, is that, yes, it's possible to be able to effectuate such a dramatic change in our character and in our values, and we become uh, free, happy, joyous, and free. So this is far more than mere elimination of alcohol or binge foods. This is about a renewed, restored, and rehabilitated life. And thank you. Thank you, Leah M. Sarah W. Star one, Sarah W. Good morning, this is Sarah W. Hi, good morning. Would you call on me? Because I, I lost the phone call. I'm sorry if I'm stepping in where I shouldn't be. You are right on, on time. Yes, I just called your name. Okay, thank you so much, Melanie, for your service today. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Um, I was thinking about the um, the idea when we were talking um, and, and so many beautiful shares and so right on um, about the willingness to go, to go to any length. And I find after, you know, in my own experience that, um, you know, uh, the fear of doing a fourth step uh, way back 20 years ago 
and walking through it, but really the, the essence of the fear was the, the ninth step because then I would have to face, uh, you know, the responsibilities that I have in, in, in making right the wrongs that I've done. And as was stated, you know, um, you know they have a thing uh, way back when they called it King Baby, you know, the idea of the, uh, the lack of emotional maturity that we have when we come in the room. You know, I like to, you know, kind of join it in with the idea of like what we all know a two-year-old's behavior is, you know, like the stomping the feet, the temper tantrums, and uh, wanting my way. And many times, you know, I was a raging, um, crazy woman. And, uh, and unless I keep spiritually fit, I could still be there. You know, there's, there's just no way I don't believe that. It's not just the food, you know, um, almost 300 pounds, but, you know, really uh, just a miserable woman inside. And, you know, I guess the thing that comes into my mind is, am I willing to go to any length for the transformation? Do I really want it? Uh, you know, so often in that childlike state, it's like we feel we have this deserving part of us. We want what the program offers us, but we're not willing to, to go to the length that we need to to get to the place where we'll get it. And so, you know, for me, a lot of this is, you know, uh, facing your fear and doing it anyway, you know, and, and like stepping beyond our comfort zone and walking through what we need to walk through to get to the other side. And, you know, a lot of people think that you have to release the resentment before you get to the ninth step and do it. But that's, that is not my opinion or my, my experience that when we do the ninth step is when we get the release of the resentment. And uh, no longer do I have to live in this self-imposed prison and really, um, you know, it, you know, it, uh, no longer am I um, demanding or isolated, but I get to find the true peace and serenity that the program offers me. So, it, you know, this is really a part of the, uh, the program not to be missed, this ninth step. And I'm so grateful that uh, it was put into a vision for you where you can really see um, people's experience with it. And, um, you know, of course, it is a process, and we are on. A, we're talking about a ninth step, and he's been through the other steps prior to. And I continue to have experiences with the ninth step, and I'm so grateful for them because, you know, I really feel that, um, you know, uh, all lessons along the way and all part of my education in life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Thank you for those that shared on paragraph two. We'll go move forward now to paragraph three. Julie R., would you please read paragraph three on 156? Hi, thank you, Melanie. My name is Julie R., recovered compulsive overeater from California. But life was not easy for the two friends. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. One day they called upon the head nurse of a local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. Again, my name is Julie R. What I like about this, it talks about spiritually active. We already know that we're spiritually fit, but what am I going to do to stay that way? So I have to be active. You know, I I can't just pray and meditate and, and remain abstinent. I have to go and find another compulsive overeater to help, to you know, show what the program can do from the inside out. And it talks, I love that. They were looking for a first-class alcoholic prospect. That means, you know, the ones that are badly mangled, the ones that are desperate, the ones that are, it's just right there for them to grab 
that lifeboat or life jacket that somebody's going to throw them. And, and I need to do that for me and for them because I cannot keep what I have if I don't give it away. And, and you know, how do we do that? There's multiple ways of doing that. I mean, my doctors have um, the permission to give out my phone number when they have a morbidly obese patient that, you know, they've helped, tried to help. So I've had several calls, and some of them are, you know, attend OA meetings now. I can also call a newcomer when I'm listening to the phone meetings. I can go to a OA meeting where there might not be a lot of uh, spiritual or physical recovery because we're going to find them in the rooms. So I have to be spiritually active. I can't be spiritually passive because that is just going to eventually lead me back to the food. You know, Dr. Bob was so clear. I mean, he, I think he helped 5,000 people become recovered in his 15 years of sobriety. You know, that's an everyday job to go out and to be of service for someone. So, yeah, I must be spiritually active. I cannot just call into a meeting and sit there and hang up and go about my day. I can't just pray and meditate. I can't just weigh and measure my food. I have to go and reach out to, and I love it, the first-class alcoholic, just like I was. I was pretty mangled. Yeah, I was almost 300 pounds, but my life was a mess. So with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Who would like to comment on paragraph three? Sally. Melissa, Melissa C. Nancy A. Reva P. Okay, let's go with that for right now. I have Sally A., Melissa C., Anita J., and Reva P. Let's go with that. And Nadia right E. We'll get back to the rest of you. I'll add Nadia, though, just for now. Thanks. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Ambition. For you, it's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive reader. So it goes on to tell us, but life was not easy. Gee, I mean, the guy is a doctor. Doesn't he make a lot of money? I mean, everything went well. People weren't mad at him. People were forgiving. I mean, why was not life easy for these two friends? And I think that, you know, it goes on to tell us plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both, both of these men saw that they must keep spiritually active. So clearly they, they get it that they are suddenly recovered. They have this peace of mind that they're enjoying. Um, they have laid the path to rest. They're living a new manner of living, a new way of living. Um, and so why don't they have this? Why is life difficult? And in truth, you know, what I find for my own life and living in recovery um, it's not that life is so difficult, um, but life is not easy. And that, that really is true. Life is not easy. And why is life not easy? Because we, we are, you know, when I look at the, the big picture here, what are they trying to tell us? Why are they going into this place of, that they must keep spiritually active? And they know that they have to keep spiritually active. Here's the heart of it. Because just as many of us have lived in the isolation of this disease, it was never just about the binging. It was the crazy, sick thinking. It was the isolating. It was the hiding and the sneaky behaviors that were behind it. And, but it was also that self-centered behavior that leads us and this mental illness that, you know, we're really hard-pressed to use the words mental illness. But, you know, I like to remember that I have this 
selective dementia that I have this weird thing where I have a pretty good memory for a lot of things, but when it comes to my disease, I have this selective dementia. I have no memory for what it's like to be in the disease. And, and keeping the memory green, which I was taught for so many years, it doesn't cut the mustard. What really does work, the spiritually active for me, is in, in working and rubbing shoulders and walking and holding hands with the newcomer and with the one who is still spiritually sick and desirous to get out of the quicksand and looking for someone to take the other end of a stick and pull them out. Ultimately, what it is, is it, it takes my selfishness. It takes my eyes off of me, the me, 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 me. And it means I'm going to put my eyes on them. And it's a huge factor for being spiritually active and for developing these muscles of not being selfish and not being egocentric and it's all about me. But instead, being spiritually active for me means I am retraining my eyes from being fixed on Sally, all right. That's I think my we signal. lost you. <laughs> well, I'll just leave it with that. You know, that's what we're doing. We're tree training our eyes to get our eyes off of ourselves and put them on the people around us. And there's a lot of people who are recovered who are struggling with this. They don't really want to. I just don't want to. I have so much to do. I have kids. I help homeschool my kids. I have this. I do that. Yes, we all have lives, very busy lives. But the truth of the matter is we must, they must keep spiritually active, we must train our eyes because we have been walking selfishly, self-focused lives for so long. It's just as important as smashing the isolation is retraining my eyes to put my eyes on other people and helping to be part of pulling them out of the quicksand. Thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Sally. Melissa C.? Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, life was not easy. And um, I, I guess I always wanted life to be easy. <laughs> um, and uh, somebody had shared with me, in, you know, in recovery that, um, you know, being recovered doesn't mean that it's going to be heaven here on earth. What means is that, um, you know, I've been released from hell. You know, I don't have to live in, I don't have to live that way but that not everything is going to be easy for me and that the um, the key for me when life feels hard is to go and help someone else. You know, just like it's been said, um, not to focus solely on me, my my ego, my desires. Um, you know, and I love it. They explained their need. It was their need to help somebody. It wasn't, um, you know, it it was, it was for them. It, it's, um, you know, when when I help another person um, in in this program, in this fellowship, it's for me. It's because I cannot stay food sober unless I am actively helping my fellows. And, um, you know, and I think about in my life right now, it seems like everyone around me is buying into these, 21-day challenges, these Shakeology things. Everybody seems to be selling something, and their need is profit, you know. Um, and I know that, for me, would never work. You know, it's not um, 
I can't profit off of another person's misery. My my whole um, purpose in having recovery is so that I can be of use to my fellows. I have I have a uniquely I'm uniquely experienced to help someone else um, get out of of the bondage of food. And um, you know there is no chance for me to stay in a recovered state if I am selfish about it. If I don't look to see who, you know, who else I can carry the message to. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. Anita Day. Did you call on Anita? I did. Good morning. Oh, I was unmuting. Hi. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you all who shared. Uh, This is Anita Jay, recovered uh, in Massachusetts. And um, my most recent experience since I've been listening to Vision and became recovered is that I must keep spiritually active. But first I had to know what exactly that meant. It didn't mean volunteering in the chapel, which I used to do, that didn't do it. And so what I found was for the last 13 months, that's how long I've been recovered, I had in the beginning three people that I worked through. Two, two have become recovered. And as they were going along there, I was so feeling of use to my higher power and feeling so on top of the world and focus caring about somebody other than me. And the point is, as they moved along, that old irritability began to come back. I, you know, that little bit of discontent began to come back. And I spoke to my sponsor and um, she said, you know, I think it's time for you to pick up another one. And that is what has kept me spiritually fit. And, of course, this meant a whole new way of sponsoring. You know, this this process via vision, and um, not that vision invented it, but they have done it in such a way that people like me who thought they knew it all, hears it, really hears it and gets it, that you've got to stay spiritually active. You've got to do the next right thing, whatever God has for you. And that is what's happened. So my sponsoring now isn't keeping all those people close at hand now that are recovered. We we always talk uh, once a week, definitely, at any other time or via email. But the focus now for me are all these new, new people who are hungering for this. They see it. They see it and they hear it. And it is unbelievably way. And you know what? This is a heck of a way to start. This is my birthday. I can't believe it. I, Anita James, am recovered today on my birthday and telling you all what a privilege it is to help others more than I ever realized. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Reva P. And you'll be the last one to share for us today. Good morning. This is Reva P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Uh, Two things really stand out for me in this paragraph. First of all, we have just read 
that uh, Dr. Bob went out and did his step nine. And for me, this paragraph represents 10, 11, 12, because um, 10, life is not easy because my defects come up on a daily basis. Um, And it even says on page 85 that it is easy to let up on the spiritual program and rest on my laurels um, because I'm not cured. I only have a daily reprieve and I need to maintain and develop my spiritual condition. Um, So they're working like a step 10, keeping spiritually active and their conscious contact with a power greater than themselves, which is 11, and then immediately go out and help um, a real alcoholic. And what strikes me is how they just did it. They just got on with it. They kept it simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple. And it was like a Nike commercial. Just do it. Just do it. Do it. Um, The second thing that struck me was keeping spiritually active. And for me, the reason that life is not easy after step nine is because my defects come up on a daily basis all day long. And if I just stop after step nine, even though there's several beautiful promises at the end of that step, um, I can easily go right back into the disease. Um, And it's limitless. I was great with a specific goal. You know, give me a goal, give me a degree, give me a project, I will do it and I'll finish. But what happens after This is like limitless spiritual development. This is a lifelong program. Um, And what I did last month or last year in terms of sometimes food, but definitely spiritual work, I, I seem to need to always go deeper and deeper. And I think this is so deep, you know, I'm done. And then there's another level. But it's it's limitless. um, And it's infinite. And if I let up on that, I can't just say, oh, I'm evolved, I'm spiritually fit, and I'm done. It's just a lifelong thing. Um, So I have to be spiritually active and then go and help a first class because the more desperate, the more Um, alcoholic, the more of a bottom I've reached, uh, the much more willing I am to do the work because it's simple, but it's not easy. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. My apologies to you, Nadia. We have run out of time at our meeting today. Please stay for the second hour and we'll put you first up there. But thank you to everyone who shared today. And please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll follow that with a serenity prayer. Rachel W., would you please read, Our Book is Meant to be Suggestive Only? Good morning, Melanie. This is Rachel W. Thank you for your service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. 
May God bless you and keep you until then.